is Laura London, and you're listening to a special quarantine edition of Speaking of Jung. I started this new series in the spring of 2020 during the coronavirus lockdown when I decided to spend my extra time at home interviewing some of my friends about the interesting work that they do. Joining us today for the fifth edition in this series is Starfire Tour in California. She is a scientist, time anomaly expert, paranormal and UFO researcher, psychic visionary, writer, producer, composer, singer, and a scholar of hidden and forbidden knowledge. She is the discoverer of time shifts, the time shift effect, the core matrix, coexisting timelines, timeline edits, and the unified field theory of psi, the science behind everything paranormal and psychic. By extension of this research, she also discovered and developed the psi workings of reality shift manifestation and the astral tagging truth reveal, and has successfully deployed these life-saving science systems through a number of international groups. Starfire Tour has been a guest on many radio and television shows, including the Discovery Channel, the History Channel, Dreamland with Whitley Strieber, Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell and George Norrie, and many more. She has also been featured in a number of books and magazine articles, and was the science writer for Quest magazine. She has lectured around the world and is the founder of the Whale and Dolphin People Project. Along with Karen Ellington, Starfire Tour is the host of the new podcast, The Time Chronicles, launched this week. Through mutual friends, I met Starfire in 2009 at Whitley Strieber's Dreamland Stargate Experience at the Joshua Tree Retreat Center in California. We've kept in close contact ever since, and I've asked her to join us here today to discuss her fascinating body of research. This interview is being recorded on Wednesday, June 17, 2020, through the magic of Skype. Hi, Starfire. Hi, Laura. Hi. So great to have you here today. I have been wanting to do this for years. So we are going to talk about everything. Yes, where we would, are. Where would you like to begin? You have a really interesting story, speaking of Jung, about his cousin. I do. Her name was Lou Zinstag. And she was very involved in UFO research, particularly with a long-ago UFO guy named George Adamski. Now, a lot of people mostly know me through my time shifts and core matrix work, but I'm also a UFO researcher. Mm -hmm. In fact, I was doing that before I discovered uh, time shifts. So um, part of what I did was I've traveled the world researching the paranormal, UFOs, hidden and forbidden knowledge, anything and everything that that other scientists just ignored mm-hmm. completely. So I was introduced to Lou through another UFO researcher friend of mine, Tim Good. And together we met up with Lou in Switzerland, where I was her guest for a while. And she told me some very fascinating stories about her cousin, Carl Jung. One of them was that Carl Jung was very much into the paranormal, Mm -hmm. totally believed it. Mm -hmm. And she also shared with me um, 
a very interesting family story about their beliefs in the spiritual, and this included Carl Jung. When anyone in their family died, they would open the window so that the soul of the past would not be stuck in the house or in the room where they would become a haunt. They, they feared haunts in the family. Apparently, it's happened before. So they opened the window. It's a custom. And that's what they did for Carl Jung when he passed away. They opened the window. And the same thing for Lou Zinstag when she passed away. So I learned a lot of interesting stories about how and why Carl Jung believed in the paranormal. It's because he'd had so many personal experiences himself. And he believed very strongly, and this is from Lou, I've never obviously met Carl Jung, but she told me that her cousin had many paranormal experiences. It was in the family. She felt it was a genetic thing. And um, she shared that he'd had psychic moments, synchronicities, um, and he believed that the brain was the source combined with the soul of paranormal experiences. And that's as far as he got. He really was concerned about not delving too far into the paranormal because he wanted to maintain his status as um, as a scientist. Yeah. Uh, but the things that she told me were just fascinating. So I wanted to share that with you. Thank you. Thanks for sharing that. You're so welcome. you were investigating UFOs, sightings, uh, and you now did you know George Adamski as well? He's Oh no, no. He okay. he <laughs> no, no. He died in the sixties. Oh, okay. So it's well before me. But why is um, that name so familiar? How do I know that name? Well, George Adamski uh, when you're someone who's passionately interested in UFOs, extraterrestrials, mm -hmm. and you go back to the origins of when the whole thing became popular, George Adamski is one of the old-time contactees. Okay. And he wrote books. He has some famous photographs of what he claims to be scout ships and um, cigar-shaped ships that are traveling around the planet. So um, I, I was investigating anything about UFOs, um, anything about contactees, anything about people who claim to have any contact or in those days abductions, the military involvement. But because I'm a scientist, um, I also was very interested in those things which people may not know about for example, that a government or a military was doing that might fool the public into thinking that they're seeing a UFO, but it's really some sort of a black ops program. So I also became very knowledgeable about, well, black ops programs. So, I mean, the B-52 uh, was uh, viewed as a UFO from the distance. It actually looks like a bell-shaped UFO until it was released to the public that, no, this is real, and it went to war. So many, many black ops projects have been spotted flying around, mistaken for UFOs. So I consider it my job to find out which is which, which is a real UFO because they do exist. There are ETs. They have a long history on this planet. But most of the 
UFOs that people see in the sky are actually not extraterrestrial. And most that I've discovered, most uh, people claiming to be abductees, something else has happened. It's not an alien abduction. But make no mistake, ET abductions are real. They have happened. They do happen. And I suspect they will continue to happen. Hmm. Well, speaking of UFO abductions, I actually first heard of you through Whitley Strieber, who is probably best well known for his book, Communion, about his experiences with being abducted by, and he doesn't say he knows what or who did it. Uh, he doesn't call them aliens. He calls them visitors. Right. And I started listening to Whitley uh, on his own show, well, first on Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell, and then uh, Whitley took over Art's show Dreamland, and he had you on as a guest. I think the first time was in 2006. That's correct. You talked about your precognitive dreams. Right. And, I mean, fascinating story of with, with the actor and the gun John Eric Hexum. Okay. I talked about him when you first saw me at, at the conference. Okay. And another, now, when I saw you, so wait, let me back up. 2006, heard you with Whitley on Dreamland. You also talked about time shifts and why that, there's this quote that, that is, you know the truth when you hear it. So when I heard you talk about time shifts, I could feel it in my bones that what you were saying was true, at least true for me. Mm -hmm. So I paid attention every time Whitley had you on. And then a few years later, three years later, on um, 2009, I think he used to do that Dreamland Festival every year. He, uh, Whitley and Anne, uh, organized it to include William Henry, another mutual friend, and yourself, and right. Brandon's, his name is Brandon Scott, right? Yes. Okay. So we all convened on Joshua Tree Retreat Center, and I'd like to tell the story a little later on about my ex very strange experience there that yes, weekend. Yes, I remember. You told me. Yeah, yeah, with the beds and then yeah. the thing with the green balloons and the green balloons. Where do we want to start here? So let's let's I'd like to go chronolo chronologically. So you also study precognitive dreams and you have something right. to say about that. So let's start there. Right, great. Well, um ever since I was a very small child, um very often I would have a dream that would then manifest into reality. Um, as a child, of course, uh, I would be dreaming of um, what would happen next day in school, um, some new person that I might meet on the playground, um, things of that nature, nothing world-shattering. But to me, this was completely normal. Now, I'm adopted, so um, I would share these things with my adopted parents. They were very lovely people, but they had no idea what I was talking about. Mm -hmm. And this created a, a problem for me 
as a child. And after a while, I just learned to say nothing. But I began to wonder, what is going on? Why is it that I'm having these experiences, which are so normal to me, but no one around me, not my um, child friends, not my adopted parents, no one really wanted to hear from me about anything psychic, anything about precognition, or any of the other things that I was experiencing. So I was sort of lost. Yeah. Um, and this was really the start of my becoming a researcher, my the start of my wanting to be a scientist, mm-hmm. because I wanted to know what the science was behind everything paranormal, everything psychic. I needed to know. I wasn't interested in make-believe, because the things that I was experiencing were, well, they seem like fantasy to others, but I knew that they were very, very real. So I sort of used myself as a um, biological laboratory because if I was experiencing, then other people must be experiencing it too. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, the older I got and the more access I had to world knowledge, I found out that what I was experiencing, lots of other people were too. I wasn't special. I was just like other people. And that was incredible. And I really want people to understand that, that when you are psychic and you experience the paranormal, or even if you experience UFOs or angels or whatever else, you're not strange. You're normal. Just because the world doesn't want to recognize you and other scientists don't want to take it seriously, believe me, it's very, very serious. So the way that I discovered time shifts was I was really looking for the science behind everything paranormal and psychic. Mm -hmm. And I literally stumbled across um, the fact that we don't live in one timeline. We live in multiple timelines, and they're not parallel timelines, which was an extremely popular notion, not only by scientists, but in science fiction. People became very used to sci-fi stories of time travel, parallel universes, right. parallel you know, worlds. But what I discovered is that there are who knows how many thousands of timelines, but they all exist in the same space. But they're separated by their individual frequencies. That's why I call them coexisting timelines. If you think of the old time radios, you know, the crystal ones, yeah. and you want to tune into a particular radio station, what do you do? You turn the dial and you pick up whatever station you want. Now, it's all existing in the same space. All those radio waves, they're just separated by their individual frequencies. Mm-hmm. That's exactly the way coexisting timelines work. And that's exactly the way precognition and psychic abilities work. For precognition, for example, you were talking about the actor John Eric Hexum. Right. And I was um, talking about that with Whitley early on, and I did at the Joshua Tree event. John Eric Hexum was an actor. He's unfortunately um, passed away. But while he was still alive, um, 
he was in a TV series called Voyagers about time travel. And before that show ever premiered, before I'd ever heard of it or knew who he was, I had a dream. And in that dream, I saw him and I got lots of information about him and that he was going to die. I saw how he was going to die. And then I got it into my head, big focus on it, that I was going to save his life. Now, I've had so many precognition dreams up to that point. Um, And some of them are about a disaster. Sometimes I've been able to prevent that disaster from happening, whether it's been an individual person or something larger. But most of the time, I've never been able to stop a disaster from happening. I've only been able to be a witness to it. I've reported it beforehand. I think that's what makes me a little um, different in that I publicly put out and report what my precogs are so that they're documented. So basically, I I have a near 100% accuracy on those precogs that I put out in, into the public. That's that's just me being brave. Um, I could very easily put out something that just never happened, but it turns out that they all did, and John Eric Hexum is one of them. So um, when the TV series um, Voyagers came on the air, of course, I was interested to watch it because it was about time travel. Mm. And the minute that I saw him, I went, oh, no. Oh, no, oh, no. It's him. I called a couple of friends of mine, including Brandon Scott, the stage magician, and I told him about it and how freaked out I was. I didn't even know the man, but I was determined to save his life. I felt that that's why I had had the dream. So through some tremendous other psychic events that I was able to precog see, Brandon Scott and I ended up meeting with John Eric Hexum. And we went to dinner. And oh, oh, we also went to watch what's called the dailies of his um, The Voyager show, which meant we were at the studio. We s- sat with him and watched the days shoot. Um, so it got to be friendly. And I really had a big choice to make. Was I going to just pop out and tell him that I can see the future right. and that he needs to watch out for this event happening? Laura... I made a choice. Yeah. I made a choice not to tell him because I thought, well, he, I, I'm going to just turn him off. Right. I, you know, he's just going to run in the opposite direction and then I will have no opportunity to tell him at all. I did meet with his agent outside of his presence and I did tell his, his agent of the time everything and his agent didn't believe a word that I said. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, just don't, don't tell him. He said, I, I would never tell him. So, you know, I left the agent's office, you know, him thinking I'm just some crazy person. Mm-hmm. But I worked very, very hard to do everything in my power to stay in touch with him. And, um, but without telling him, I knew that he was going to be um, 
Well, I didn't know what was going to cause it, but I knew he had a very serious head wound Mm -hmm. and I saw blood all over his head and his shoulders. So what actually happened is on the set of his show, his show after Voyagers, um, he was playing around with a prop gun, which has a deadly wad inside. He was playing Russian roulette with the prop gun, something he should never have had in his hands, something that should have been under lock and key by the prop master, but it wasn't. And so he was playing Russian roulette with it and he lost and the wad went into his brain. And so he shot himself in the head and this is how he died. And I, I remember I went to the hospital while he was still on life support Mm -hmm. again, just hoping against hope that I could possibly do something. But when I saw him there, I realized that he was already dead. He was just on life support. And as a matter of fact, they were just waiting to um, donate his, his parts to Mm -hmm. various other people. So I ran into his agent there who absolutely, when he saw me broke down into tears that he didn't believe me. And I said to him, I'm, I said, I understand why you didn't, but had you, and this is probably the meanest I've ever been because I was so upset. Mm-hmm. I said, but had you believed me, your client, your friend would be alive today because we would never have allowed him to get in a situation where he could injure himself that way. Mm-hmm. So, um, this really has haunted me my entire life that I was never able to save his life. I have since then saved other people's lives, but I'll never forget him and my decision not to tell him. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll never know whether that would have made a difference or not. So right. there you go. Right. Well, and that wasn't your only premonition. Oh, no. That that turned out to be accurate and come true. Um, there was the president of Poland right. and, and others. So you have this ability and it's caused you to want to understand it. Right. Well, yeah. Uh-huh. Go ahead. Well, when, um, when I was, uh, talking to Whitley on one of his shows, I think, uh, this is something that we did that was partly on dreamland and partly on coast to coast. Mm-hmm. Um, he wanted me to tell him uh, uh, events that were going to happen in the coming year. Right. So um, I thought about this and this is something I really don't do. Basically, I just report my precogs when I have them, mm-hmm. not necessarily to be um, – a predictor of the future, although I'm very capable of doing it, right. I just didn't want to be that person. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I am a scientist and I really like everything to be very on the up and up. And I just didn't want to be tagged as um, a seer. Right. Okay. I mean, I'm comfortable with it now, but back then I wasn't. So, um, I did put out um, uh, a handful of um, precogs for the coming year, 
and we documented them on the show. And I also put them on my website where I do uh, put all, a lot of my precogs. And every single one of them happened, every one, mm-hmm. including the one that you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. So um, I knew they would come true. It's just the way I'm born. Yeah. It's not something that I can teach anybody to do. Um, I can teach people how to do um, astral travel which can enhance that ability. I can teach them about time shifts and how precog works, which I'll explain in a moment. Mm -hmm. But honestly, this is just me. And it's just the way I am. And I know that other people who are just like this, who are listening, understand completely. Right. Okay. And I just want to tell the listeners that you have a very comprehensive website. It is your name, starfiretour.com. And you include on your website all of these stories. And also, you're very active on Facebook. Your friends list is full, but you have a fan, what's called a fan page, which allows you to have many followers, thousands exactly. and thousands of followers. Right. So I, you and I have been Facebook friends for a really long time, and I see your updates. And also you monitor what's happening on the sun. And that is another area of interest of mine. I visited the observatory in New Mexico, back in the late 1990s, that monitors everything that's going on there. And I've been interested in that ever since. Would you tell us how the sun factors into your research, the the solar flares, the coronal mass ejections, the geomagnetic storms, all of it. Right. Well, before I discovered how the sun played a role in time shifts, um, I, I had discovered that we live in more than one timeline and that we can have something called dual memory timeline conflicts or dual other types of conflicts. Like, for example, let's say you live on a street. You've, you've traveled up and down the street thousands of times. You know it by heart. And suddenly, you get in your car one day, you drive down the street, and there's a building on that street that hadn't been there the day before. Mm-hmm. Now, you know that's a fact. It's in your mind. It's in your head. It's in your memory, but you cannot deny there's that new building. What just happened? Well, that's the effect of a time shift, specifically a timeline edit. They happen all the time to us on this planet. Or let's say um, you know for a fact that a certain, let's say, celebrity has passed away. Mm Mm-hmm. Then suddenly, you see that same person live on some talk show. Right. Blows your mind. How can that happen? Well, that also is an effect of a time shift, timeline edit. What happens is this dual uh, memory conflict is in a previous coexisting timeline, the person died. But once there's a timeline edit meaning that there's been an alteration to the timeline, a new timeline has been created, suddenly that person is alive again. Mm 
So you have a memory where the person died and the person is alive all at the same time in your head. Big mind blower, but that's also what I use to um, teach people that a time shift living dead person, which is what I call them, is your greatest personal knowledge that everything that I'm teaching you about time shifts and something called the core matrix and the editing of the timelines is absolutely the truth. Okay? Whether it's something in your life that's altered dramatically, like a building suddenly appearing, or your favorite shirt color having changed color, it can be simple, it can be complex, yet this is all a glitch in timeline edits. And I just want to reiterate that these are not parallel universes. That's correct. They are not. They're not parallel um, timelines. They are coexisting timelines. Correct. And that we live in multiple timelines at the same time. We do. And, And the timelines are constantly changing. Correct. And there is more than one timeline that's unfolding. Untold numbers. There's okay. no way to know. Um, it's it's really interesting. Now, you were talking about the sun. Right. Um, what I discovered as my – first I made the discovery and then, then came the serious research because, like I said, I stumbled upon um, – upon uh, the fact that we are in two two different timelines at least. I mean, at the time, I thought they were only two. Now I know okay. they're untold number. But um, the, the first thing happened was that um, I have some, some items um, that I still own, and there has a drawer in it, and the drawer pull was made of brass. One morning I woke up, and the drawer pull had changed color. It was gray instead of brass. That was very strange. Uh, I didn't know how that happened, but it sort of was in my mind, and things like that began to happen, changes that I would notice. Mm -hmm. And then uh, back in the day, um, I I took some film of uh, UFO activity where I was researching, and I converted it from film to a different medium. And the, um, the film company called me up and said, well, uh, you didn't say what title this is and what year stamp we should put on it. So I gave him the year stamp. And, uh, okay, that was fine. Uh, then the, th- the next night, I woke up in the middle of the night, and suddenly I realized that, no, I gave him the wrong year. Mm -hmm. That wasn't the correct year. And I didn't know why I was saying that. And I went back into my own records, and I discovered that this event of taking this film, I had done it in two different years. I have absolute, absolute physical evidence of this and I have this because at the time that I took this film the UFOs were actually seen by a highway patrolman in his car in his squad car 
and he was chasing them down the highway. This was so remarkable that this made the newspapers. Mm-hmm. So uh, I actually had a copy of the newspaper and I had the date on it. And yet the date that I had given that man at the film um, place was a different year, was two years apart. Now, I knew when I took the film because on the film, I also have some friends of mine who were visiting from out of town. They were visiting me from out of town at a specific, uh, at, pardon me, at a specific date. Mm-hmm. And it was two years from the time that that patrol officer was chasing the UFO. These are the same events. I filmed it. The police officer chased it. It was in the newspaper. I have it on film. Mm -hmm. I have it in film in one year. The police officer chased it two years prior to that. Not possible. Not possible. So this was my evidence that I had. It was physical. And I tore into this research. It took me two years before I was able to convince myself through physical knowledge. The evidence just piled up and piled up that I had, that I have a memory of the exact same event happening in two separate years. The exact same event, mm-hmm. physical evidence. And this was the start of how I discovered coexisting timelines. So now with the time shift living dead mm-hmm. phenomena, yeah, that is something that you often uh, post on Facebook. When a celebrity dies, mm-hmm. it makes the news. I still don't understand why. It could be somebody that we haven't heard from in years. And then all of a sudden, they pass away. It hits the news. It gets spread all over social media with this outcrying of sentiment from people. And I'm thinking, where was this when the person was alive? Uh, All of a sudden, they're dead and everybody's brokenhearted. I, I don't know. I always found that quite odd. But when whenever celebrity dies, I check to see I check your Facebook to see if <laughs> you're reporting them as a time well, shift I don't, dead. I don't report them all. No, and that's the thing. Not all of them are. But there are some and I'm gonna give an example. Back in 2017, I was in Charleston, South South Carolina. People are probably tired of hearing me talk about that trip. It was to see the total solar eclipse because that Charleston was on the path of totality. So I got to see it, the eclipse in totality. Mm-hmm. But while I was there, Jerry Lewis passed away. And we were in the car and we had the radio on and it was it came on the radio. And I thought, Jerry Lewis, that guy died like 10 years ago. Jerry Lewis died in 2017. I was stunned. Mm-hmm. And so I figured he must have been a time shift living dead person. Uh, some of the other people, Abe Vagoda, Valerie Harper, um, where else? Rip Torn, right. Robin Leach, 
the mom or the school teacher, I don't know what she was from the Facts of Life. And then Toni Morrison, that was Charlotte last Ray. year. Charlotte Ray. Yeah. Toni Morrison grew up with one of my best friend's moms. They grew up mm -hmm. in Lorain, Ohio. And so I knew who Toni Morrison was. Yeah. When it was announced that she passed away last year, no. I remembered her dying again like 10 years ago. Right. Okay, so to, to everybody who's listening to this, who has never heard of Starfire or the time shift living dead phenomena, you might be thinking, well, this is just your memory, right? That, that you th only thought you had heard that they passed away. But right. this is common. And this is what they call a thing now. And yeah. I, I want you to tell us how this started. Okay. Well, first of all, as long as people have been alive on this planet, there is a phenomenon called the alive again, dead again phenomenon that that predates me. Is that right? Okay. I didn't know about that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It, it, but no one knew what it was, why it was, you know, was it just the mind playing tricks on itself, people misunderstanding the data, mis misremembering, confusing names. Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes that happens, sure. Sure. But but no one understood the phenomenon until I discovered time shifts and coexisting timelines. So you really dual... came up with an explanation for this. Right. I, I understand the science Okay. behind how it works. This is the important thing. I didn't discover the alive again thing, but how it functions. And that was a long time ago that I, I worked this out. As a matter of fact, I first um, brought this information into the world when I released to the world that Nelson Mandela was a time shift living dead person. At the time, Art Bell was on my research list. And um, he was very interested in all the things that I was working on. And um, without even telling me he was going to do it, he started talking about Nelson Mandela as, um, well, an alive again, dead again person. He mm -hmm. didn't use my words, time shift living dead. Um, because I, I, I was controlling the release of that information. So he kind of jumped the gun. I guess he was just so fascinated with the whole thing. I mean, eventually I did go on his show and I did talk about it. But um, interestingly, um, and this is really important to understand, shortly after I went on Coast to Coast with Art Bell, some years after he first broke the Mandela Nelson Mandela alive again, Ted again thing mm -hmm. um, without revealing where he got it from. Um, you know, we had a talk and he actually came out of retirement um, so that we could sort of clear that up. And um, that was in 2009. Okay. So this has just, just been my thing. And uh, Nelson Mandela and Bob Hope were the two first time shift living dead people that I ever released to the world. Oh, and I also want to say this, Laura. I talk about celebrities as time shift living dead. Right. It's not because only celebrities right. are time shift living dead. Oh, no. 
millions of people are time shift living dead. In fact, we all are. It's just that more people in the world know celebrities. Mm -hmm. So more brains are going to retain the information leading to a coexisting timeline dual memory conflict. So if I were to say, oh, well, let's look at your Aunt Tilly, who you believe is a time shift living dead person, I have no way to prove that. I can't document it. But when it comes to a celebrity, I have various portals where people from all over the world can report their time shift living dead um, experiences. So I get thousands, I'm talking thousands of reports from people who do not know each other and have not heard it on the internet, have not heard it on social media. It hasn't gotten out yet. So when I'm researching a time shift living dead person and I'm the one who's confirming it, I have to get these reports in from all over the world before I can even say anything. Because the moment that I make it public, like on my Facebook or my web page, that's done. The research now changes. Because once it comes out, I now get into people who might be having a false memory of it. Mm-hmm. So when I'm researching a time shift living dead person, and I do research people's personal time shift living dead person, whether it's an animal Yes, animals can be time shift living dead too. And um, someone that they know well that's not a celebrity. I do research those too. They're important. But um, when I release the information about Nelson Mandela, Mm -hmm. even what Art Bell read from my research list, I threw in a red herring. I was very concerned that once I put the information out, I would be creating a false memory syndrome, and that would be the end of the research on the Nelson Mandela episode. So I threw in a small piece of false information concerning um, him, And I knew to throw that in because not one single one of the thousands of reports that I had received privately ever mentioned this particular thing. And the thing that I threw in was that Nelson Mandela died in jail. It's not true. So I knew any time that someone had a memory saying that Nelson Mandela died in jail, I knew that something wasn't right. I could not add that person's memory to an authentic time shift living dead research because they had been contaminated. Now, in some cases, some people will just be lying. They'll just be saying they had that memory and they're just picking it up off of the net and where they found it. But I knew that the contamination came from me and I was so glad that I did it. Um, so let's, I just, know. let's just go over this. Nelson Mandela was alive in 2009 when you appeared on Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell. You say that he came out of retirement. He was retired. Uh, George Norrie took over the show for him. But occasionally, Art would fill in for George. And Art was living part-time 
in the Philippines, and he interviewed you from the Philippines. Uh-huh. And Nelson Mandela did not die until 2013. Correct. So again, in two- died again. Died again. So in 2009, when you two spoke about this on Coast to Coast AM, he was still alive, but you two talked about the time shift living dead phenomenon right. and and the fact that a lot of people had a memory of him passing away and yet he was still alive memory. right so um so i was i was the one who put the nelson information out there that people were remembering that he had died before but it was not in jail and as, as a matter of fact, on my website, I have an article which talks all about this and reveals the truth about it. I, I just want people to know that when researching any time shift living dead person, it's very important that the research, in which case I'm the leading expert in this, um, you have to look at first, you have to go on the net and find out, has someone put out false information? There are loads right. of death hoaxes on celebrities. You have to track that down. You have to realize that pe- some people do have false memories. So the moment that they hear that something has happened, they may glom onto it and they may believe that they're having that memory, but they're not. So the only authentic Nelson Mandela um, time shift living dead memories that I can actually say are authentic are those that I got before um, I put out the information to the public and threw in that red herring. So when I hear people saying, oh, I remember that he died in jail, that doesn't mean I think that they're necessarily lying. I would never call them a liar, but I know that that's a false memory. In fact, some of these people may genuinely remember that he died in a coexisting timeline, but have somehow added that piece of red herring that he died in jail because it's just become so popular. And why has it become popular? Because of something called the Mandela effect. Okay, tell us what that is. The worst thing to ever happen to my research. Mm-hmm. Um, shortly after I uh, went on uh, Coast to Coast with Art Bell in 2009, very shortly after that, a woman named Fiona Broom suddenly has a website and a little catchy name called The Mandela Effect. By the way, my research is called The Time Shift Effect, way predates Ms. Broom. And... uh, So this woman creates this Mandela effect and a website and goes out there and claims that, um, oh, look at this interesting phenomenon where you think that he died before, but look, he's still alive and no, he's dead again. Well, she's using my research. The only thing is, is she took me out of the equation. Why? It's very simple. Uh, when you remove me, the person who worked out the science of it, who put out the Nelson Mandela time shift living dead information, when you take away me and you take away the science behind it, then what do you have? You have a woman 
Miss Broom, who set herself up as this inquisitive person who has started this whole Mandela effect, and we don't know what it is. And, and all of a sudden, you have all these people very attracted to the phenomenon, which I'm glad to see, but they're running into dead ends because whether it's Fiona Broom herself or people setting up various websites or videos or whatever they're doing, they're all going, but we don't know what causes it. Right. We don't know anything about it, and we are in the dark. Well, that's what Ms. Broom wanted to happen because if she were to um, say what she actually knew, that it all came from me and I had the answers, what does that make her? Kind of irrelevant in her world. So, um, you know, she started, like I said, just a few months after uh, I was talking with Art Bell about it. And, uh, but I wanted to give her the benefit of the doubt. I mean, I pretty much knew what, what was going on, but I, I really wanted to test her out. So a few friends of mine got together and, uh, there's this website that she has, the Mandela Effect website, and she had this, um, comment section. So here's what we did. Sometimes my friends would write a comment there just about the Mandela effect, very positive, fine. Other times, they would write comments that would have my name in it, Time Shift Living Dead, and that I was the originator of this. Every single one of those comments that identified me were removed mm. from the comment section. But every one of the comments from the same person that were just, you know, talking about the Mandela effect, they remained. This was the evidence, the final, the final piece that I needed to see that she was manipulating data. And it was also that she could be in the spotlight. She could write a book, make a film, be famous, make money off of my research. So um, just what I want to tell anyone who is very drawn to the Mandela Mandela, Mandela, right. <laughs> Mandela uh, effect. It's really called the time shift effect. Please come and join me either on Facebook or wherever uh, because I want you to know the truth about how your brain remembers out of place objects, buildings that have moved, shirts that have changed color, people who are alive, a dead, dead again, alive. I want you to know the truth about it. Then go on and go go have your websites and, you know, get the conversation going. But get the conversation going knowing what I know. Come to me. I'm the discoverer. I'm the scientist. I know how it works. And I've given it all to you for free. I've given yeah, it to you. You really have. You really have. And what another thing I noticed is what's become popular on social media is this theory that the world did indeed end in 2012 um, when scientists found the Higgs boson particle uh, at CERN. The Large Hadron Collider's job was really to find that. And that things have never been the same since. Now, as we said earlier at the beginning of this show, 
I met you in 2009. We were talking about time shifts and your precognitive dreams and the time shift living dead. That was all before 2012. So I don't think this has anything to do with 2012. Um, and another thing Whitley mentioned uh, in one of his interviews with you that time is changing. Again, this was before 2012. And I wanted to ask you, is that true? Is time changing? Well, first of all, that whole 2012 thing, total hoax, never happened. Okay. Um, and wasn't going to happen. It was just somebody who misread some ancient calendar. Oh, and, the Mayan calendar ended in 2012? <laughs> yeah. Uh, meant no, the end of the world? Yeah, okay. no, it's just, no. No. Uh, it did not happen in 2012, but we do have a phenomenon called uh, a timeline reboot. Um, the world does occasionally end. It's not just that it gets it gets altered, but it does end. What do you in mean which by case, end? It, it, it blows it's up? It ceases to exist? Ceases to exist from some reason. It could be a, a nuclear disaster. Okay. It could be an asteroid. Uh, <laughs> there's not a long list of what it could be. But um, in, in humans' history, there is something called a time loop. And a time loop gets caught into the program of a coexisting timeline, and it keeps repeating itself through various uh, future coexisting timelines. And this happens when something very dramatic or traumatic has happened. And regardless of how you want to alter the timeline through a, a timeline edit, um, that event is still there, like a nuclear holocaust. So we have these time loops, and in, in this case, we have a very serious one that I call a planet-ending time loop uh, due to nuclear holocaust, and we have, um, we've had this planet destroyed on a number of occasions, to be very clear about this, this started thousands and thousands of years ago. Okay. This, this is not a recent event. It started and got hooked into the program of the timeline because thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago, there was a, a war around our planet. Um, it's come down to be known as the Anunnaki time. I'll leave it at that. Okay. And um, these two factions warred. They warred and they destroyed themselves. And in doing so, they destroyed this planet. We have something called a core matrix, which is kind of an analogy is a hard drive. And within the core matrix, which exists near a black hole um, everything that's in that core matrix everything there is everything that we are everything in the universe everything in the cosmos every bit byte factor everything is in the core matrix and every single coexisting timeline streams out of this core matrix and it is the core matrix that causes the alterations in timeline and creates new coexisting timelines now the core matrix in its streaming how many thousands of coexisting timelines 
all timelines, coexisting timelines still exist. They're still streaming. But our consciousness is programmed only to be consciously aware of the most current, dominant, coexisting timeline. We're built that way. There are glitches in the program, but pretty much that's why people don't really understand that we're not just living in a single timeline that has a past, a present, and a future, but we're coexisting in how many thousands of coexisting timelines. So when um, these planet-ending events occur, the core matrix has something called a prime directive, and it is focused on keeping this planet alive so that when we have those planet-ending events, the core matrix can resurrect us. Resurrect the, the planet. And us as best as possible. As best is possible. So the more you have countries with nuclear uh, capabilities, mm-hmm. um, the more times we've had these timeline reboots. It's different than a timeline edit, which is an alteration of the timeline to affect some purpose. But a reboot is just what it sounds like, like you reboot your computer Mm -hmm. because it's gone down. You have to reboot the timeline. That could take anywhere from a blink of an eye to thousands of years. I don't know. I have no idea. I have no way of knowing how long it takes. Mm -hmm. So um, you, you talked earlier on about the sun. Right. And the effect that it has. Well, what I what I discovered was, and this is years and years of research, please. Uh, what I discovered was that um, every scientist who is worth anything researches the work of other scientists. And one of the scientists that I researched on my way to discovering how these coexisting timelines worked was Albert Einstein. Albert Einstein came up with some fantastic theories that in his lifetime he was never able to prove but have been since proven Mm -hmm. and that is that when certain factors are in motion um, including on approach to the planet um, time changes time warps, time bends and when energy like with a coronal mass ejection, a CMA or a solar flare or a solar wind, something happens where something from the sun um, hits our planet, hits our magnetic field. This creates a warping of time and space. So in that moment, the core matrix is able to take advantage of it and, and act alterations in the timeline for that have to do with uh, in the timeline not timeline in the timeline mm-hmm. um, that for the purpose of trying to um, resurrect us to the point that we were before the very first destructive moment but it's impossible because the core matrix never has at its in its availability all of the fragments, all of the pieces of the original universe that we come from. So it keeps trying to resurrect us using only remnants of what we were. So it continues these alterations, alteration timelines, alteration timelines again and again and again because it can never resurrect us to our proper original format. 
So that's why all of these timelines occur. And since the core matrix uses our sun to, uh, to impact our planet, anytime we have those solar flares, solar winds, um, anything hitting our magnetic field that causes warping in space and time, mm-hmm. that's why the sun is so important mm-hmm. besides being the life giver of our planet other than the core matrix. And in fact, the, the core matrix also is the Akashic Records. Is the Akashic Records, okay. Yeah. And right. you monitor the activity that's going on on the sun right? so that you know if a time shift is in effect? Well, I like to, as far as is possible, to know when a time shift uh, is occurring because that means that our world is altering. Right. So I've put together a list of things that I've taught to everybody who follows my work. Mm -hmm. It's called time shift markers. There are things which a person can experience that have have to do with um, switching up of coexisting timelines, memory conflicts, physical things that are changing within your local or global world. And these are called time shift markers. And when I can collect time shift markers – same way that I collect the time shift living dead information people reported to me Um, then I know that a time shift has occurred or is occurring when I when I know that we're having a tremendous um, uh, geomagnetic storm on Mm -hmm. the planet I'm pretty sure that we're having a time shift but it's very important to understand that a geomagnetic storm does not trigger a time shift It's only that the same solar energy that kicks off and triggers a timeline uh, situation uh, is the same solar energy that triggers a geomagnetic storm. So when I see a geostorm, that's a time shift marker that a time shift is in, is happening. We are this teeny tiny little dot compared to the size of the sun and when the sun spews this energy the energy completely engulfs the earth i mean we don't have a prayer we're bombarded by this actually we we have a really big defender uh the earth itself has an electromagnetic field that acts as a shield against uh such incursions as a uh, CME Um, and uh, most of the time uh, particularly when uh, depending on which direction north or south this shield is facing um, this protects the earth from any of the terrific damage that would be caused by the CME Uh, things get really hairy when the CME happens to be an X flare This is when things get somewhat in the dangerous zone. Um, X-flares, if the planet cannot defend against it, can actually burn our power grids, Mm -hmm. can put us back into the dark ages. Um, Hopefully, um, humans got smart and are protecting their power grids from this type of a fry. Um, But that's not really the case because I think Whitley wrote a a small book about that, uh, about our power grid and how vulnerable it is to a mega solar flare, like the Carrington event. Yes. It's very vulnerable. 
An X-flare is pretty big, and we haven't had one in a while. We are currently in a solar minimum. Actually, and we had, I'm sorry to interrupt, but we had okay. a huge X-17 X-flare in 2017. No, in, in, 2003, in 2003. Right, but he, now in 2020, we're in a minimum, right? We haven't had an X-flare in quite some time. We haven't had an X-flare in a few years, mm-hmm. but whether we are still in a solar minimum is a big question mark because as of late, uh, Solar Cycle 25 has come into being and the new sunspots that have developed have been sending out CME. This is the past, oh, few weeks. And I've written about this. Um, Solar minimum is called minimum because there's a lack of sunspots. That's it. There's a lack of sunspots for a very long period of time and so the sun goes into solar minimum when it's not giving out uh, CMEs, the type of energy that it usually does, solar winds and mm-hmm. other um, uh, magnetic uh, things blowing out of the sun and coming toward Earth. But on the other hand, solar minimum is also a major cause of global warming, not mankind. Mankind contributes a little bit, but most of global warming is caused by solar minimum the actual solar the solar energy that hits the planet actually helps the planet not hurts it so there's a possibility possibility that if solar maximum keeps going if the if the sunspots keep going and mind you every scientist has said solar minimum is is going to be minimum is going to be here for a very long time and it's going to make things a lot worse I thought, well, I'm thinking that the core matrix is really going to be needing solar maximum for work that needs to be done on the planet. And I said, you know, I think all of you scientists are going to be very surprised because I think that solar maximum is returning. And that seems to be what's happening. Of course, it's too early to tell, but I just... I just yesterday saw another another sunspot develop on the far side of the sun. Uh, I can see this not psychically, but because uh, NASA and its allies have um, satellites that orbit around the sun taking photographs. So I, I'm able to view the photographs. And uh, I can see that there's more coming. So with any luck, and we sure do need this luck, We will go into solar maximum, which hopefully will help with a reduction of global warming. Um, It even has the potential of causing some form of global cooling, which I think would shock everybody. Uh, But because of the state of the planet, you know, you talked about this being your uh, C-virus series. Mm -hmm. And uh, part of a big part of our planet right now is the C-virus and other very nasty things that are happening that are just throwing the world on its ear. So uh, a lot of corrections need to be made. They're being made. They're being made. They're being made. So before we move forward, I'd like to go back to precognition and the science behind it, and what you've discovered, because I don't think we quite finished that yet, and that's very important to this episode. That's right. Now that we've talked about uh, 
time shifts and coexisting timelines and dual memory conflicts, um, the science of how precognition works is very simple. Um, a person who has a, an accurate precognition, and I'm only talking about the ones that really manifest, what happens is this person, that would be me or whoever else, um, retains a memory of an event that's in a previous coexisting timeline. Then there's a time shift, and we are now in a newly minted, altered coexisting timeline with a lot of the same details are the same. But now, for some reason, we are we have shifted, literally shifted time, and the event that we have a memory of that happened hasn't happened yet, but we remember it. Now, sometimes you remember it, a precog, in a dream. Sometimes you remember it just because it just suddenly comes to you in a, a meditative state right. or you're cooking dinner. It, you know, yeah. it can be anywhere, anyhow. And the reason why that happens is because the brain is the interface with the core matrix. In fact, this is why we dream. Part of what I discovered in the unified field theory of psi is the mystery of why people dream and why we only use a certain percent of our brain. What's going on with the rest of the brain? The rest of the brain is still firing off. It's obviously being used, but scientists, not me, other scientists, only understand part of what the brain is doing. Well, the brain is receiving downloads from the core matrix it is through our brains that um, our entire reality is interpreted by us and so um, in our interface with the core matrix uh, let's say during a dream state you are still picking up data from the previous coexisting timeline it's in your memory banks so now you're in the post time shift timeline and this event that you dreamed about it doesn't exist in the world yet but it's very much in your head which is what happens to me so I report hey this is what I've dreamed and these dreams these precog dreams they're very different from any other type of dream a precog dream at least for me it's like you are there yeah, yeah. it's like reality it's like you know when you're in it you think you're in it right and then I come out of it and I realize, oh, I better write that down because that's, that's something that's going to happen. And that's, that's where my accuracy comes from. So then in our time-shifted, new, dominant, coexisting timeline, the event that I dreamed rolls around. It comes around. Sometimes it can come literally minutes after I post about it or hours or like what I did with Whitley, um, I I went into my ability to connect with the core matrix and I looked at the year. But usually, like I said, it's just what's happening at the moment in my world of precog and I report about it. Now, I have um, precogs every day, many times a day, but I only report the ones that I think, you know, can be documented or would be interesting to, mm -hmm. to the public. Yeah. So that's all I wanted to do, Laura, was to explain the how it works. 
This is how precogs work. This is where dreams come from. And this is also where our psychic abilities come from, is the interfacing with the core matrix. We all have the ability to download all of this streaming data. It has nothing to do with somebody's IQ or somebody's intelligence. It's just some people are tuned into it and some people are not. But I will tell you this. Once a person has had a genuine paranormal experience, a part of their brain that interfaces with the core matrix actually opens up wider. And that's when a person starts to have a lot more paranormal events and even may have precognition events. Mm-hmm. Well, for myself, I have been psychic since I was a child. I don't talk about it very often because of the stigma that's attached to it. Um, that's why I'm interested in the people I'm interested in and who I hang out with are people who are very open to it and why I studied remote viewing, uh, many years ago, I'm going to be doing an episode actually with a gentleman who he and I had the same remote viewing teacher and he wrote a book about it. His name is John. Who is your teacher? David Morehouse. Okay. John Herlosky is going to be my guest on an upcoming quarantine series, but uh, I actually had several other teachers before I found David Morehouse, and David is a bit of a controversial figure, but mm-hmm. I got to know him, and I spent a lot of time with him, and you know, there, there are many dimensions, many levels to everybody, and we've all had our fair share of life experiences, and Um, But I did study with Simeon Hine in Boulder for a while, and then somebody from the Farsight Institute when I didn't know any better before Mm -hmm. I found David. So that was a way for me to do something with my naturally psychic abilities. Now, remote viewers don't have to be naturally psychic. Remote viewing is actually a learned skill, but I decided to, I mean, some, some remote viewers are natural psychics. So anyway, Mm -hmm. I'll get into that on a future episode, but I forgot where I was going with that. Um, Well, you're, you are talking about your own experiences. My own experiences. experiences. Yes. And, and my time shift experiences. So Mm -hmm. I wanted to give the listeners um, a few of those and to explain why Starfire's research means so much to me. When I went to Joshua Tree for the Dreamland Stargate experience, which was their yearly Dreamland festival, it's a long drive from LAX. So I was with, um, I was with somebody, we went together and we flew into LAX and then he drove and that's a long drive. I think it's two, three hours. I can't remember now. And so when we finally arrived in Joshua tree, we had rented one of those little cabins there. Yeah. Uh, at the retreat center Mm -hmm. and they're kind of rustic. I mean, they're not modern at all. And we checked in and brought all of our luggage in. And I remember looking, we got, I think the biggest one, one of the biggest ones they had. And I looked out into the bedroom area and I saw three single beds and I thought, Oh, well, we're just going to have to push two of the beds together So 
we were tired from a long trip and we just kind of laid on the bed for a while because the festivities weren't going to start until the evening and we just kind of wanted to unwind and relax a little bit. So we were both just lying on the bed relaxing and I saw on the nightstand a sign that said, so odd that you do not move the furniture. <laughs> and I, I've been staying in hotels my whole life. I've never seen anything like that before. Do not move the furniture. Actually, that's one of the first things I do when I check into a hotel. Is I move the <laughs> furniture around to make it more comfortable. So we're lying there and I thought, oh no, do not move the furniture. So okay, no big deal. So we'll sleep in separate beds. And um, I was actually with my husband at the time. Okay, so so I turned over. At one point, I turned over in the bed and I look and the bed that's in the middle is now a double bed. And now I can hear everybody saying, oh, well, she just didn't notice it. I had this rush of energy flood my body. You know how when you get this kind of rush of adrenaline, like when you're absolutely stunned, when you see or hear something? That's the feeling I had when I looked over and I saw that the bed in the middle was a double bed. That's right. Now, I am a stickler for detail. I notice everything. Mm -hmm. There is no way that I walked into that room and saw a single bed, a double bed, and a single bed. There's no way. And if I had, I wouldn't have thought, oh, no, there are three single beds. Maybe we should just push two of the beds together. That changed. To me, it changed. Well, it did change. And the reason that I know that you really experienced it is uh, part of the way that I do, let's say, if I were to have come in and if I were to have investigated um, your situation, um, you did just didn't walk into the room, glance, flop into bed, mm-hmm. fall asleep, wake up again, and then you went, oh, I thought that was a single bed. That that I couldn't ever say was uh, a time shift event. But because you were so focused on working with the beds and you had a reason to work with the beds because they were singles mm-hmm. and not a double anywhere to be seen – and then that odd sign that said, don't move the furniture, which you're right. I've, I've never seen that in a hotel room either. Who would think of that? Um, right. so, so the fact that suddenly you have a double bed in your presence, that is absolutely typical of a timeline edit. Absolutely. There it is. Mm-hmm. There and it is. it's, yeah, it's just as simple as well in the... In the previous coexisting timeline, you had all singles. And then there was a time shift, and suddenly there's a slight rearrangement, a factor of events, a domino effect, and whoever set up the room in the new dominant coexisting timeline Mm -hmm. put in a double bed. I mean, it's just that simple. It's not like a ghost came in and did it to you. It's, It's not a poltergeist activity, although some poltergeist activity is time shift related, and some isn't. But in your case, you just experienced an old-fashioned timeline edit. A timeline edit. Okay, and that mm-hmm. was in October of 2009. Mm-hmm. I have another story from 1999 that, ironically, 
involves Art Bell. Okay. I, I listened to Art Bell used to be on every night on Coast to Coast AM on AM radio. I started listening to him back in the 1990s. Okay. I remembered him uh, recommending a movie called The Sixth Sense. And I'm not a big movie goer, but he talked it up, said, you have to see this movie. He wasn't going to say how it ended. It had the surprise ending. Spoilers, of, yeah. Yeah, one of the best movies he had ever seen, and he highly recommended it. So I kept telling my husband, we really need to go see this movie. We went to the theater. We saw the movie. I am still traumatized to this day from that movie because it was so frightening and shocking to me, the ending of that movie. It's a great movie. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it, but be prepared. I, I have personally seen it, yes. You've seen it, yeah. yeah it's great. Great movie. Mm -hmm. So I was listening to Art sometime after that, after we had seen that movie, and he, he takes calls. He was a master at the unscreened open line phone calls. Okay. A caller calls in and starts talking about the sixth sense and Art stops him and says, no, no, no spoilers. I haven't seen it yet. Don't say anything more. And I had that flood of adrenaline, I don't know what it is, come over my entire body head to toe. And I thought, right. what? You haven't seen it? Are you kidding me? You recommended it. You went on and on about what, how great of a movie it was, how everybody needs to see it. And that's why we went to see it. I'm still scared at night to shut off the lights because of this movie. <laughs> and now you're telling me that you haven't seen it yet? That always, I always remember that. That stood out to me. I was wondering if that was a time shift. It could very well be. You know what would be would be interesting if uh, if somebody grabbed uh, that mm. bit of uh, tape from the first show that you heard, where he yeah. he talks up the movie, but not but not with the spoilers, and then he says later on that uh, he never saw it. Now those are those are time stamped, so. That would be very interesting and just, you know, if providing that something that. else wasn't going on with his memory, which I don't think at that right. time he was. Right. So, so now here's my question to you. When do you think this, this type of realization, this mm -hmm. changing of the elements in your, in your environment, when do you think that this, you had your first experience? Was it the beds at Joshua Tree or no. did something happen before? Well, that mo I looked it up when I knew we were going to do this episode, and that movie, The Sixth Sense, was released in August of 1999. Okay. Um, so that was way before the bed incident in oh, Joshua yeah. Tree, right, in 2009. But like I said, I've been psychic my whole life. I've had strange experiences my whole life. But as far as an instance like that... I can't remember anything like that happening before then, but again, these things can be happening all the time. We just don't notice them. Well, they are happening all the time because the core matrix has a program called brain assimilation. And this is the reason why people generally do not recall living in anything other than the current coexisting timeline that we're all existing in. It's a consciousness 
uh, collective that the core matrix uh, makes sure that we adhere to because people, humans, simply could not stay mentally yeah. sane yeah. by trying to keep track of thousands of similar uh, timelines. Um, but because there are glitches in the program, I was able to discover it, and I was able to share that discovery with the world. Had those glitches not been there, I'd be as unaware of the situation as most people are. Mm-hmm. You know, it, and I could just hear people also saying, well, she heard somebody else recommend the movie. I don't think so. Art was, and I, I've talked in the past about how much art meant to me. I mean, I miss him every day. He died two years ago, and mm-hmm. I know you knew him as well, Starfire. And yes. We all miss him, um, but I literally think about him every single day. So uh, if Art recommended a movie, which I don't think he did too often, you bet I'm going to pay attention and right. and and go see it. So and he, that was the only show I was listening to at the time. Right. Again, it well, was 1999. There were not a lot of – it was the only internet radio show. Or it actually wasn't on the – on the uh, internet yet. Uh, I don't know when Streamlink started, which is... I don't know, but he podcast. was airing on regular radio. On, on AM radio, yep. You're right. Okay, now, when I'm researching any type of time shift, whether it's the time shift living dead or what you experienced, one of the things that I ask from people are what I call place markers. And you have exhibited what I call a place marker. You have a memory of context where you can relate the movie, The Sixth Sense, to Art Bell having talked about it on his radio show, Mm -hmm. which is why you became interested. It's not that you don't remember why you wanted to go see the movie. You know, it was being popular, but you have an actual place marker of what made you do it, a cause and effect And then suddenly, in another show that art does, that cause and effect is suddenly not there. Pulls the rug out from under you because you have a memory that says that place marker was there. You got the idea from him. This is your pattern. This is how you think. This is what you do. And suddenly, it's not there. Completely typical of a time shift event. You have a time shift marker there. So I would definitely say that the bed and the movie – Time shift markers. There's just one other one that I want to mention to the listeners because Starfire, you were, I I always run to you and tell you these things. This was about Angelina Jolie's wedding dress. I was in Santa Fe on vacation. This was in 2014. And it was, everybody knew she was um, going to be marrying Brad Pitt. Well, People Magazine got an exclusive of the wedding photos, and I uh, was in my hotel room, and I remember the iPad. I had one of the first iPads. It was white, and I clicked on the link because People Magazine had the exclusive, and I wanted to see her dress. And I remember clicking on it, looking at it, and being so disappointed because I thought, it's so plain. I mean, I just, you know, she's so tall and statuesque and beautiful. And I was just expecting something very lavish. And I mean, yes, it was it was simple and elegant. But I don't, I don't know, when I saw it, I just felt really let down. Sorry, Angelina, that it was just 
plain. It had some ruching in the bodice and then just the floor length satin, just plain. And I looked at it and I, I don't know if I've ever mentioned this, but my aunt and my great grandmother were dress designers in New York City. And um, my grandfather had a fabric store. And so I've always just kind of been interested in in dresses and in fashion. And so I, I looked at it and and I, I I went on my way. Well, after that, I don't know how long after, I saw an article about the veil that she wore having all of these doodles on them that were done by her children. I think she had six children at the time, something like that. And they drew doodles and she wanted to include all of her children in this wedding. So she had them embroidered on her veil and they were colored. They were all different colors. So I saw another photo and that was attached to this story about the story behind why there were doodles on her veil. And I was stunned. I hadn't seen these doodles before. So I went back to the People magazine. So the it wasn't just a photo spread, it was the cover, and looked at it. And there were no photos of her in just the dress. She was wearing the veil in every single photo. And I know that I would have noticed. I mean, the, you can't miss these things. They're bright blue and red and yellow and green. They're not just embroidery. They're colors. And I did not see those on the first right. photo that I looked at when I saw her wedding dress. It was just right. her in this plain gown. And maybe she had a veil on. I don't remember. But mm -hmm. if she was wearing a veil with brightly colored doodles... I know I would have seen them. Now, again, people could say, oh, you just didn't notice. You don't know me. If you <laughs> if you think that, you don't know me. Uh, I would have noticed. And right. Well, um, if, if I were to have investigated this, and I will extend this criteria to you, uh, what I do in a situation like you have just described is I would uh, make contact with the editor, of the paper and Angelina Jolie's manager or whomever and find out whether they did more than one spread, whether she was ever photographed in a different veil. Mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, that happens in the entertainment world all the time. Uh, it also happens in people do weddings and they change their outfits. Right. So what I would suggest that you do just to know for sure is find out whether or not um, she did more than one spread and changed her outfits. In other words, she was in a veil that was not didn't have the doodles on it and another one where she did have the doodles on it. And this might be the answer. I'm not saying it is. I'm saying but anytime you investigate the paranormal or you investigate time shifts, which same criteria you have to look at the mundane first yes and, and and you have to know well what is the mundane okay um you have to you know pursue it you have to knock out all of the oh that's normal that's ordinary oh here's the reason and once you follow those paths and you discover that none of those discoveries you know 
explain what you experienced, mm-hmm. then and only then you can say you had a time shift, timeline edit experience. Right. And I think that when I told you about this, when it happened, you had suggested mm-hmm. you that I do the research and I did. Right. And I did it again when I was looking for photos to attach to this episode's uh, YouTube slideshow. There is not one photo that I could find of her in that dress without wearing that veil. So it is the Uh, dress with the ruching in the bodice, and then it's just plain all the way down to the floor, plain silk, satin, whatever it is. Right. And she has that veil on. She was on the cover of, I think, Hello Magazine, and, Mm -hmm. and, and then posing with the children and the groom on the stairs. Every single photo of her in that dress Hat, she's wearing the veil with the brightly colored doodles. So okay. that's as far All as right. I can take it. Okay, let me explain a little bit about the urgency of investigating any potential time shift okay. stuff. Um, shortly after uh, the core matrix enacts a timeline change, um, usually the conscious brain sees the now. In other words, what's happening around you now. And then the core matrix begins to fill in what I call the backstory. So if you're, if you really understand that there's a time shift marker out there, like your, the events that you've spoken about here, Mm -hmm. um, you can sometimes find physical, physical evidence that what you remember actually exists. But in a very short period of time, the core matrix will have done backstory work and it will be vanished. Okay. It will no longer exist. Now, there are exceptions to this rule. There are glitches in the program. I have plenty of examples of that uh, that are pretty amazing. Um, And it can be done, but you have to look for it immediately. But eventually, the timeline is going to – the timeline past is going to match the timeline present until there's another time shift and then all bets are off got it okay now i've heard you use the word glitch a couple of times and Mm -hmm. most people uh have seen the movie the matrix and i'd like for you to clear up the (laughs) title of the movie your use of the term the core matrix And Mm -hmm. if that scene about there being a, quote, glitch in the matrix fits into this at all. Okay. Well, thanks for bringing that up. That's quite a while back. Um, Before there was ever a Matrix movie, and I did enjoy the movies, um, I had named the phenomenon that I had discovered um, the Matrix, I did it because scientifically a matrix is what the brain does when it wants to make sense of what it's seeing. Even if what they're seeing makes no sense to their conscious brain, the matrixing allows them to create uh, knowledge, image. It's very simple. And that's how I think that the core matrix works. So I just called it the matrix. Then out comes the matrix movie. And suddenly, people who were very new to my work, um, <laughs> they kept thinking that the Matrix science fiction movie was the same as my actual science 
the matrix. Mm -hmm. And I really did not want to give up the word matrix. Uh It, It was mine, but, you know, it's a word. And there was no way it was going to change off of the title. Um, what was going on in the movie The Matrix is not, repeat, not the science of what I discovered. It's different. And I eventually decided to rename my discovery. Instead of calling it The Matrix, I call it The Core Matrix. Okay. And once I began to do this, and people understood that the movie is science fiction and what I'm doing is science fact. That ended that confusion. I understand that uh, a new Matrix is going to be made. Yeah, I heard about that. With uh, the same uh, the same actors, Keanu Reeves. And so I'm very concerned that this whole mix-up is going to start up again. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that being that I've been using the core matrix since about a year after the movie came out, that that mix-up won't happen. Now, which specific part of the matrix movie did you think might be resembling some of my actual research about the glitches? When the lead character played by Keanu Reeves, his Mm -hmm. name is Neo. Mm -hmm. When he experiences a deja vu, he sees a cat and then a half a second later, he sees the same cat. He see well. He sees a cat walk by the doorway or in the doorway, walking mm-hmm. by, and then he sees the same exact cat walk by the doorway the same exact right. way. And a glitch. He says it's a program Whoa. glitch. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, um, in the movie The Matrix, they were using the whole concept of computers and. Um, virtual reality. And so it makes perfect sense that they would create a glitch situation to explain Neo's realization of what's going on around him. Uh, It actually happens to be what is going on in real life. Uh, Time shift markers, um, time shift living dead, things you've experienced with the beds. um, That's a glitch too where the core matrix assimilation program has not functioned to its 100% capabilities. And we see little tears in the fabric of space and time. We see tears in the fabric of, of reality. Now in the movie, the matrix, they use virtual reality. Okay. But we are not a virtual reality. That's really important for people to understand. We are really existing. We are physically and spiritually existing in all of these different timelines that we were alive in. It is not a virtual reality world. It is not the Star Trek holodeck. Okay. The holographic universe. You don't think we're living in a hologram. I know we're not. I know we're not. In fact, um, I think that thinking about holograms was a very good idea. I think this was the way to go in theory. I also think that thinking about parallel worlds and universes was also a very logical way to theorize. I think the string theory was also a very logical way for any scientist to theorize, but I've disproven them all. I've debunked them all. Um, When I discovered that we live in 
coexisting timelines that exist in the same space, only uh, separated by frequencies, that puts all of that to rest. Um, it, it just does. I mean, the theories were good in their day. It helped us to lead up to um, where we are now, which is my research. Um, I definitely studied other people's research, and I must also say that some scientists also relied on my research to formulate their theories. So um, I am respected in the scientific community. You'll, you know, I'm not talked about very much there, but I don't expect it. I mean, even I don't put doctor or PhD after my name, mm-hmm. um, even though I have them, um, because when I first started out, with uh, talking about the core matrix and and all of this time shifts, even I didn't want to walk all over my scientific career. Um, even at, at the time, I, I was a science teacher, and uh, I did not want to walk over it. And I just sort of grew used to not caring about whether somebody knew what my educational degree was. Look, this is real, and I've proved it over and over again, year after year after year. I'm just waiting for all scientists to catch up with me so that we can all be on the same page and move forward because in truth we're not as a people walking into our future or moving toward the future we're actually reconnecting with our past Mm. we've already created everything that you're seeing here the communications field we're on our way to re-establishing who we were that we've lost contact with. So, you know, it just adds a layer to what time shifts actually are. Mm-hmm. And you went on record with your research in 1999 in Quest magazine. It was volume two, issue two, the April, Good May for you. <laughs> 1999 uh, issue. You wrote an article called Time Shifts, the, as, the Evidence for Time Travel. Right. And it went on newsstands in March of 1999, mm-hmm. which is when the movie The Matrix came out. So that had to have been written before the magazine was published. It did. It and did. So there's no way you saw that movie before you wrote that article. That's correct. In fact, I'd been, you know, calling it The Matrix for many, many years before that. But you're right. Um, uh, as far as the evidence is concerned, if I had to like defend myself, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, uh, my article came out before the movie did. So came out before the movie, and yeah. uh, I was wondering if um, for our last segment here, you wanted to talk about the election of Donald Trump. Did you want to uh, get into that? Sure, I have okay. no problem with that whatsoever. Uh, okay, well, where do we begin? We had to, exactly what I was yeah. thinking. Well, let me start with uh, this. In 2015, when Donald Trump first announced that he was going to run for the presidency of the U.S., the moment that that happened, I had a precog. Mm-hmm. Not a dream, just I was watching him coming down those the escalator, and I had this visual And I saw that he was the president of the United States. And I saw why. I saw why. And I had never, ever before in public ever talked about politics. I actually don't like 
politics. Yeah, I consider it. I. I consider yeah. it completely corrupt. Mm-hmm. And as a matter of fact, um, I do not belong to any political party. Mm-hmm. And um, prior to the shenanigans uh, of the Democratic Party, and I'm saying the word shenanigans very lightly. Uh, it's really an understatement of what's going on with them. But at the time that I had the vision in 2015 of Donald Trump being president, um, I had no idea nor interest in who was going to be president because I just didn't trust anybody in politics. You know, whoever it was, it was. You know, you had Hillary Clinton, you had Donald Trump, um, you had, what, a million different people in the Republican Party vying for the presidency on the Republican side. Who cares as long as I – I didn't care. Okay, Mm -hmm. you know, it wasn't going to impact me um, the way that I live my life. Um, I wasn't sure it was going to impact the United States tremendously or the world. But because I had this precognition about it, I I put it out to the public. I explained what I just said to you. I'm not a political person. I don't trust it. But I had this precog and since I have a near 100 percent. Um, accuracy rate on the precogs that I put into the public. I felt that this was the true. I just didn't understand why. Mm-hmm. Okay, I knew that Hillary Clinton was wildly popular. Um, I knew that she had run against Obama and had lost, and that you know it's politics, so they both said nasty things about each other. You know. But then Obama turns around and makes her the, what, the Secretary of State? I said, oh, that's politics. That's politics, Mm -hmm. you know. He decided to bring her into the fold so she wouldn't be his enemy. That's sort of the way I figured it. And I went, Mm -hmm. oh, whatever. But this this vision about Trump kept repeating. And I began to have dreams. I began to have precogs. I began to be very attuned to what the core matrix was doing and what the world was doing. And so I decided that, I need to know more. The world needs to know more what is going on. So on Facebook and on my research list, which is now defunct as of last year, but was going strong at the time, I said, look, I need to know why I'm seeing Donald Trump as the president. And when everyone is saying that Hillary Clinton is a shoe in to win, she's so popular. She's, you know, her time has come, you know, another woman there, whatever. You know, for me, I don't care whether the president of the United States is a male, a female, a transgender. I don't care what they associate with. I only care about what the person is going to do for the people. That's all I care about. So I wanted to know why I was seeing that he was going to win. So I developed uh, a psi working that I had developed, like I said, the word developed, called (laughs) – an astral tagging truth reveal. At the time, I just called it astral tagging, but it was a truth reveal. Mm-hmm. Um, it is an extension of my research into the core matrix, coexisting timelines and all that. And it's something that I've taught my research list, so I knew I could teach it on the internet to whoever wanted to join. Well, a couple of thousand people from around the world joined in, and it was pretty basic. In fact, this is still on my website. It's, it's very simple. I wanted to know which of these two people, Clinton or Trump, was the best 
president for the United States in the time that we're now existing, timeline alterations taken into account. So I created a criteria for what a really good president, all of the um, statistics, the criteria that a really good president should have, okay? Just generic. I made it up. It's from me. It's what I felt from my ability to know such things. And um, I wrote it up. And the astral tagging, which is, like I said, a very specific protocol, it was to focus on that presidential criteria of this best-case scenario president. Which of these two candidates, Trump or Clinton, met more of these criteria than the other? Because that was going to be the number one reason that I thought was going to be that, you know, one of these two was was going to win. Mm -hmm. If it turned out to be that Clinton was the one who met this criteria, then I knew that probably my precog was just wrong. I mean, I'm willing to be wrong. You know, right, if I'm right. wrong, I'm wrong. I put it out there and, you know, I hope for the best. Um, but if Trump turned out to be the one that met most of the criteria, then this was a, a really good reason to move forward with my precog. So it's very involved, but we did, you know, a couple thousand people um, participated in this astral tagging truth reveal. And an interesting thing about an astral tag is you don't tag people, you tag an event. Mm -hmm. And the event is the presidency, the election. And once you tag something, all of the truth about it comes out. All of it. Everybody's, you know, they're dark deepest secrets about what they've been doing what they've been up to anything that has to do with the election is going to be found and made public and oh boy was it ever mm -hmm. okay this is where we started finding out a lot about hillary clinton we started finding out a lot about donald trump and um i also knew that there was another factor involved this became very real because of the astral tagging truth reveal. Uh, I'm going to go back to something we talked about earlier in the show, which is the time looping, planet ending, nuclear disaster. That, that is part of the time loop, part of the scenario. Every time a timeline gets, gets edited and we get a new coexisting timeline, that time loop is still into the program of our timeline. So what became very obvious to me uh, and that I, I wrote about for years, actually, and I'm still writing about it, um, is that if Clinton won the presidency because of her lax security policies concerning the security of the United States, all of her policies, and we brought them up, this would allow certain bad actors elsewhere in other countries to set off these nuclear problems. Mm -hmm. And this would be the cause of the destruction of the planet in which we'd have to be hopefully resurrected again. So in all these coexisting timelines, every one that Clinton was the president, and she won a few times, 
And so we were able to see that every time she won, we were destroyed. And it was because of her policies, her, her connections, her behavior, things that we know today she was involved in, things that we know today that the Obama administration is involved in, we didn't know back then. Okay? But because of the astral tag, I was able to, and my precognition abilities, I was able to write about what was going to be uncovered. And everything that I wrote, Laura, back then, has come has been found to be yeah. true yeah. today mm-hmm. everything okay including about um i wrote even before he was elected that the democrats and their shadow controllers um were going to try to impeach him resist him they had this whole thing worked out um i wrote that there were communications about the Um, I said, oh, my God, Uh, there are people in the intel community, in in law enforcement, um, in the FBI, not not the FBI itself, not the intel community itself. But there are certain there's a there's a small group that have dishonored this this great world. I mean, the FBI are fantastic. The Intel community are fantastic. Yes. You know, 99% of the people who work there, they keep us safe. Right. They do great work. But I saw these elements within it were even corrupting the really good people's work. Well, all that's out now. But way before it was ever out, I wrote about it. I wrote about where the evidence was. I wrote about who they were. Okay. And... And each time we had a timeline event where our timeline changed, what I noticed was Trump kept getting better. Better, by better, I mean he was, um, I mean, let's face it, when he first started out, a lot of the things that he said and did were just completely cringeworthy. And he still sometimes does that. He has a personality, but it's that character, that personality, which is holding firm today to try to keep the U.S. safe from elements that are wanting to destroy not us, but the entire world. And so the core matrix has something called the prime directive, and it's the prime directive which is another program that searches various coexisting timelines for this time-looping, planet-ending nuclear event. Now, there are different versions of all of us in different coexisting timelines because we are living in different circumstances. That makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. In fact, we don't always exactly look the same. How many times has a person looked in a mirror and go, what? Yeah. Wait. No, for a second, you don't even recognize yourself. Right. Well, that's that's a time shift effect. That's why I called it time shift effect. So, as part of the prime directive, the core matrix doesn't care who's the president of anything. The core matrix does not do timeline changes to help this person or this corporation or this country has no interest, could not care less. Mm-hmm. This core matrix is not a sentient being it's not a god it is what it is and we're tied to it 
So the prime directive's concern is keep the planet whole, keep the people alive, keep the animals alive, keep the planet alive. And as long as it's not destroying itself as a planet, it's not going to interfere. But I began to notice, as did the people who were following me, the thousands and thousands of people all over the world, that Trump, every time we'd have a major time shift, Trump as a person would get smarter, smarter, politically smarter. He would um, become more popular. He became way popular. But all the all the polls said he was going to lose all the, you know, that mainstream media. Oh, yeah, he's going to lose. Of course, I part of the um, the um, astral tagging truth reveal also revealed that most of the mainstream media was really the propaganda arm of the Dem Party and was controlled by same people and that there was shadow controllers of the Dem Party who invested millions and millions and millions of dollars into them. Terrible thing, but, you know, that's sort of out now. But uh, before it was, I wrote about it because I knew it was true. So I kept seeing Trump. I said, the, whatever versions of him were, were the best versions of him in various coexisting timeline got edited into and kept continuing to become the edit copy of a Trump so that what we have today is actually the best Trump that he can be. Whatever you got, he's the best Trump that he can be. So we now know that the whole Russia thing was a lie, a hoax, the impeachment, a lie based on nothing, um, all of this a lie based on nothing, all to get him out of office because the Dems and those who control them want their power. And we can see what they're doing with their power. And it's not good. So right now, the core matrix is doing its best to educate the planet to make the best choices. You see, the core matrix does not control free will. It doesn't do anything to alter how the way people think. But people in this world are very controlled by disinformation um, to a very large degree um, so that they make their choices based on the information which, pro which is programmed into their brains. So what the core matrix does is, as best it can, working with the elements that it has, is to reveal truth and hoping that in the revealing of truth, enough people will shatter the mind control program that's been embedded into their brains and will get their free will back. And with their free will, they will make the best choices that they know how to make, whatever that choice may, may be. So um, this is what why, why a solar maximum is so important to the core matrix right now, because with that, we get more solar, um, solar particles hitting the planet, which creates um, time-space continuum warping, which is how the core matrix gets in there and enacts time shifts and timeline edits so everything is connected laura and the more information sure you know the more information you know about the way the world really works the smarter you can be you know um people often talk about ascending ascendance mm -hmm. i consider 
and I, I'm 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 telling you the honest truth here. I consider true true ascendance to be knowledge of the core matrix and coexisting timelines and time shifts. Because um, if you don't know this, you don't know Jack. You are living in a um, in a false reality where you think that there's just one timeline that moves from the past to the present into the future, and it's just not that way at all. But when you realize what I've discovered, and you understand how our brain works, that that our brain is the interface to the core matrix, suddenly it's like Eureka. You realize you are in a larger, more sophisticated world. And you also begin to realize that the disinformation that you're being fed is just that, disinformation. And um, the reason why Trump won is because he is the thing standing between that nuclear holocaust time looping in a very deadly way. Um, And if Clinton had been elected, uh, we would have been down and out. So that's actually uh, the reason why, and uh, it proved out to be true. In fact, even on the morning of the election in 2016, when all the polls and all the talking heads were saying Hillary Clinton's in the lead, Trump is, you know, he's, he's a loser beyond loser, I kept saying, and I posted this, it's a matter of documented record, I said, mm-hmm. wait, wait, wait. Wait to see. This isn't over. He's going to win. Mm -hmm. And he did. And this is why he won. And this is why he also needs to be reelected for a second term uh, because he is what stands between um, security and uh, this very diabolical plot that's being put out there to um, you've heard of the New World Order. Oh, a lot yeah. of conspiracies about that. Well, guess what? The New World Order is real, and you are seeing it come to life right now. And this has to be stopped so that we can all keep our free will, our freedoms, and hopefully one day those countries that don't have their uh, freedoms can get them. That's what it's all about, Laura. It's not for me about politics. It's about saving the world. That's the only reason why I... I'm an advocate of Trump winning a second a second run is because it saves the world through all of his missteps and 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 inappropriate things that he says sometimes and tweets sometimes and he really needs the help of good people from both sides of the aisle to help him be the best that he can be and and and, and, and to stop the constant um, un, unsubstantiated attacks. This is hurting everyone. And by extension, what happens in the United States, it hurts the entire world. I'm about saving the world, not just a single country, but the world. Thank you, Starfire. Thank you for sharing all of that with us today. And thank you for being so bright and brilliant about doing your research on me. And sharing your own experiences too. I enjoyed them very much. Please visit the website, speaking of Jung, that's J-U-N-G dot com for more information on everything that was discussed in this episode. There you will also find all of the previous episodes of this podcast, which are available to stream or to download for free. This podcast is also available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, 
TuneIn, Spotify, and iHeartRadio, and it will be available later on our YouTube channel. You can also listen to this episode on your Amazon Echo device simply by saying, Alexa, play Speaking of Jung on Apple Podcasts or on TuneIn. Just be sure to pronounce Jung with a hard J. So with special thanks to Whitley and Ann Streber and to Art Bell, this is Laura London, and you've been listening to a special quarantine edition of Speaking of Jung. Speaking of Jung